0: Well, aren't you thankful for the cross today? What a beautiful song and mixture of songs. And I assure you what I'm about to do is not nearly as impressive as what we just saw. And uh, so thanks for letting me be here today. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Dr. Patterson, thank you for uh, allowing me to be here to speak today. I came to Southwestern Seminary in 2005 in part because a man named Paige Patterson was leaving Southeastern to come to Southwestern. And I vividly remember Mrs. Patterson grabbing me by the face at the SBC in some hallway saying, just give us a chance, just come to Southwestern. And, uh, and I believed her and I believed Dr. Patterson. I came and it was one of the greatest decisions uh, that I've ever uh, made. Dr. Patterson was kind enough about probably 18 months ago, two years ago, to give me an old desk of his that he had used and other family members had used. And I thought about it that I was concluding writing this message. I thought, here I am, I'm, I'm at your desk. The same desk that you probably prepared sermons and other things uh, was the same uh, desk that I prepared this sermon at. So kind of a special thing there. My wife Meredith, as they said, is here today. Uh, Meredith uh, was raised in Florida on a ranch, all right, 200 acres. And she grew up with four-wheelers and shooting guns and all these kind of things. Uh, if, If you know anything about my background, and Dr. Patterson does, my dad was not a hunter. Is that safe to say? Not a hunter. And, uh, and so I, I become a hunter about once a year and I go down to Florida and we, we shoot whatever we see, okay? And, uh, and so right after we had gotten married, we had just had our first child who we had during our time here at Southwestern. Uh, I was changing her diaper and I looked out the window. This is Thanksgiving morning, by the way. And what do I see on Thanksgiving morning? I see, I don't even know what you call a, a, several turkeys, a pack, a herd, whatever you call them. There were turkeys in the yard. And so I, I turned to her dad and said, hey, Bill, can I, can I go shoot a turkey? I mean, it's Thanksgiving morning. It's so what you do on Thanksgiving, right? And so I had on shorts and a T-shirt, and I threw on some loafers, and I walked outside, and I snuck. Okay, so I am not innately born with good aim because I didn't grow up shooting guns really. I had a BB gun. That was about the extent of my, my uh, hunting there. And so I'm not a good aim But I I walk out there very tenderly, and I get behind a tree, and I set my aim. Like, this is the aim of my life, right? Like, who gets to say you shoot a turkey on Thanksgiving morning? Like, legend status in the family. And so here I go, and I'm behind this, uh, this, this tree, and I pull the trigger, and the aim is perfect. And I kill a turkey on Thanksgiving morning. Dr. Patterson, you'll be glad to hear that after I had killed the turkey... I put on a camo jacket and a camo hat for the picture with the turkey um, because, you know, I wanted to look authentic. Um, But this morning, I'm I'm not talking about the aim of your hunting life, okay? Uh, What I want to talk to you about today is the aim of Christian ministry. If you have not figured this out so far in your ministry, um, every pastor has an aim. For some that's uh, small groups, for some it's discipleship or evangelism or church planning or missions, all good things. But what I want to talk to you about today, what I want to encourage you to aim at can either enhance your evangelism, your discipleship, your heart for missions, or if you neglect this one area of your life, I believe it absolutely can tank everything about each one of those things and ultimately tank your ministry as you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy are, is some of the last readings that we have from the apostle Paul, and he's in prison as he's writing it. And so you've got to think about the sentimental nature. He's a spiritual father writing to a spiritual son here. The Timothy is protege in the faith. He's mentored him. And right at the beginning of chapter 4, he begins to have this conversation with with Timothy Timothy through this letter. And he says, listen, in later days, people are going to turn from the faith. They're going to turn to false doctrine. And then he corrects it right there in verses 4 and 5 around that. And then verse 6 is where I want us to pick up with the passage today. I'm going to read through the entire passage. Then we're going to come back and work through it together. Verse 6, he says this, if you put these things before the brothers— You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. With all of my heart today, I believe that if you follow the admonition here from Paul to Timothy, you will have a great ministry. You'll have a great home life. I think if we focus on what Paul encourages Timothy to focus on, uh, we will be on the right path towards the right and proper aim of Christian ministry. Let's just go back to verse 6 and let's just read it again. Let's just start working through the passage together. He says this, and if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, let's focus on that first little phrase there. If you teach these things. Now, what is he referencing here? Uh, There's dispute on what he's actually talking about, although I think we could at least say he's talking about the above passage or the above paragraph about combating false doctrine. I think you could even say from a broader context, maybe he's even talking about these things. In other words, 1 Timothy chapter 1 through 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now regardless of what he's talking about, I think there's an important connection uh, that we need to make that he makes really in, in the end of verse 6 that there's a connection between being a good, faithful servant of God and teaching good, sound doctrine. Now, this is why you're here it is more than just spending a few years at a seminary far away from your house maybe and where you grew up so that you can get a piece of paper to hang on your wall so that when people come in for counseling in your office or at your counseling clinic or whatever you're here to get schooled for um, so that they can look at that and say oh well this guy or this girl they're they're trained and they're smart that is not the aim of Christian ministry and you're here spending your life and these years and your own money For the purpose of learning sound doctrine that you can one day teach to other people, which in turn will live to good, sound living and right, godly, obedient living to Jesus. I really believe the heartbeat of this passage is verses 7 and 8. Let's read that again. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, when he says have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, I think he's acknowledging what he just talked about in the above paragraph, this false doctrine that some people are going to be led astray by. He says have nothing to do with that sort of things. In other words, turn away from that and turn to something. And this word here, rather, really turns the heart of the passage here. Turn away from false doctrine and turn to this. Get your aim right. And here's what I want to just give you, okay? The aim of Christian ministry. You want to know what it is? The aim of Christian ministry is godliness. It's godliness. We could be even more clear, and we could say the aim of the Christian life is godliness, to look more and more like Jesus And so as we work through the rest of this passage, I want to talk about godliness in two ways in your life. First of all, let's talk about personal godliness. You may realize this already or you may not realize this already, but in ministry, you will have all kinds of pressures that are building against you. Sermons that must be prepared. Hospitals that must be visited. um, Ministries that must be attended to. And yet nothing, everybody say nothing. nothing. Nothing trumps your need for godliness nothing in the world no ministry is so important that it trumps that no sermon is so important that it trumps your own personal walk with god Eugene Peterson said it this way he said the pastor's primary task is not communication but communion how many pastors have you known who spent their entire life with preaching being the focus of their ministry and listen I'm a preacher okay I'm thrilled to be here preaching. I love to preach the Word of God, but it's not my first calling. My first calling is communion with God, intimacy with God, leading to godliness. And you know what that makes? That makes a better preacher, right? It seems so simple, and yet we miss it so much. I'm going to give you four words that, that I just want to encourage you. On a, on a short scale, make these your focus for the year 2016. And I think it's appropriate to say, in your life of ministry, whatever you're going to do to be a pastor, student, pastor, counselor of some sort of let these four words drive your life in ministry." It's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, "Train yourself for godliness." Paul's highest priority for Timothy was that he would be godly. In fact, later in the passage, he talks to him about his doctrine and about his teaching. And yet, what does he talk about first? He talks about his own personal godliness. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul thought a young pastor would need to hear about godliness? Right? Like you may um, you may think this already, but but I want to give you just a newsflash if you don't already. Of godliness is not easier for pastors. It's not. In fact, I'd say it's even harder because you have the appearance of godliness and yet often live carnal inside. You can live preaching sermons and visiting people and counseling all kinds of crazy in your office. And just trust me, there's lots of crazy in the local church, okay? But the worst thing that could be said about your life is that you spent a life of ministry involved in the things of God and yet completely missed Godliness. And if you don't keep a watch on your own godliness, if you don't train yourself for godliness, you'll end up at a place you don't want to be. You say, well, we, you know, we throw this term around a lot in church, maybe in here at seminary of godliness. Well, what really is godliness? You know, a simple way to think about it, it's just Christ-likeness. What does it look like to be uh, godly like God? It looks a lot like being like Jesus. To have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the actions of Christ so is that happening in your life? I want to give you just what I'm calling a key question for your own life today. And I don't care if you're a student or a member of this faculty or some uh, member of the staff of Southwestern. Um, here's a key question for every follower of Jesus in the room as it relates to training yourself for godliness. Of am I progressing in Christ-likeness? Am I progressing in Christ's likeness? You see, I don't think that God ever requires perfection from us. Aren't you thankful for that? I do believe that God asks us for progress. That's why the Bible talks about sanctification. And so if you're wondering, man, am I progressing in Christ's likeness? Here's an easy way to tell. Ask your wife. Right? Ask your wife. Ask your husband. They usually can tell you more than you even want to know. The goal of Paul's writing to Timothy was that this young protege, this young guy that he mentored, this young pastor, would be godly. In fact, Paul uses the word uh, for godliness eight times in his writings to Timothy. And so, no doubt, it's a theme that he wants him to know. In fact, if you just continue reading down uh, in the passage, you look at verse 16, what does he tell him? He says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And so once again, his focus is godliness with sound doctrine. It's not either or. I would encourage you, don't be one of those seminary students who by the end of your time here, man, you have got the doctrine down to the neglect of your own heart and walk with God. You see, this is not a different goal than for any other believer. You remember Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. He says, for this is the will of God. Everybody, when they hear that, they like perk up. I want to know what God wants me to do. Like, I want a little bit of that. I'm confused about all kinds of things in my life. I want to know the will of God. What does he say it is? He said, it is your sanctification. So out of all the things you're confused about in your life, out of all the things that you desire clarity in your calling and in your life, and the life of your family, and in your life as a seminary student, your future, here's the one thing you can bank on. What does God want for you? What is his will for you? Christ-likeness. To become more and more and more like Jesus. You look back at the passage, look at what Paul says. He says, for while bodily training is of some value godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come there's this contrast here that he gives between physical exercise or physical discipline and spiritual exercise or spiritual discipline now here we are we're in the month of february which did you know i'm in seminary so i should probably use greek right is that what I'm supposed to do here? And so, so, you know what the Greek word for February is? It's, it's kind of a long definition. It's hard to put in English. It is the month in which we all go back on our New Year's resolutions and get fat again. That's, that's what February is, all right? So January, everybody's hitting the gym, working out. February rolls around. I'd rather have cupcakes, you know? <laughs> And that's just what happens, right? You see, Paul here, he's he's not denying that physical discipline, physical exercise has benefit. When I was studying for this message, I came across uh, this article from the Mayo Clinic, and it talks about exercise. And it was entitled, Seven Benefits of Regular Activity, okay? Let me just roll out what exercise will do for you, okay? This article says that exercise controls weight. It combats health conditions and diseases. It boosts energy. It promotes better sleep. Exercise puts the spark back into your life. Married couples, you read through the lines there, all right? Some of these guys are gonna run from class to class today, right now. Um, and then finally, it just says exercise can be fun. Is that what, like, what what do you get now? What's the point? The point of this article is if you get moving, if you get exercising, then it will be beneficial for all of these areas of your life. Now, even greater, what's the point of what Paul is telling Timothy? He says that if you go after godliness, it will affect every single thing in your life. If you set your aim, Timothy, on godliness, you're going to hit the target of evangelism, of discipleship, of having a heart for people, of being a good husband, being a good wife, having a love and a heart for missions and the unreached peoples of the world. All overflowing from a life of godliness. I love what Dwayne Lifton writes here about godliness. He says, Godliness colors all aspects of temporal blessing and eternal life, bestowing its blessing on all that it touches. Could it be that what God is calling some people in the room back to today is not a greater emphasis on whatever your aim currently is? It's not a call to get better grades. It's not a call to be a better husband or to be a better wife. Could it be that God is just calling you back to the basics? Is God just calling you back to a life of intimacy? with God, a life fixed on the spiritual disciplines. When I was in seminary here, we read a book that I'm sure is probably still read here by Don Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And it's filled of all kinds of disciplines for your life, leading to intimacy with God, ultimately leading to godliness. And I think you could boil, you know. We could talk about a litany of spiritual disciplines and we could name 30 off together if we were just to call them out. But I think when you think about intimacy with God leading to godliness, I think there are mainly two things that you cannot get away from. You know what they are? The reading of God's word personally and prayer. You say, well, man, I I could have preached the message today. Yeah, probably so. I don't deny that. It's like if you've ever heard a a pastor, or not a pastor, if you've ever heard a coach after a tough loss, and they say, well, coach, how are you going to get the team back uh, where they need to be? And what are you going to do this week in practice? And and they give coach speak. Isn't that annoying? And and usually what they'll say is, you know what, we're going to get back to the fundamentals. We're going to get back to blocking and tackling. And I can imagine every reporter holding their microphone up like, whatever, man, blocking and tackling. Well, Here's what what I'm calling you back to today. And really, here's what the Word of God is calling you back to the fundamentals blocking and tackling. You can be an expert in Greek, you can be an expert in Hebrew, you can know every bit of theological knowledge you need to get. And yet, if you miss this, it has the opportunity and the ability, like I said, to tank your ministry. You look back at verse 9, look at what he says here. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So in other words, Timothy, train yourself for godliness. It's got such value for your life now, for the life to come. And it's so true. What I am telling you, you bank on it, you mark it down, you get the T-shirt, you do whatever you got to get. If you don't get anything else in this letter, you get this. Train yourself for godliness. I would tell you the same thing from verse nine. If you don't get anything else from today's message, anything else from this chapel service, you walk away with a greater commitment to training yourself for godliness. We come to verse 10 and look at it with me. He says, For to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. It's as if Paul broadens here from aiming directly at the heart of Timothy to explaining the bigger picture to Timothy. Of Timothy, this is why we do all that we do. There's a famous NFL Films clip of Bill Parcells in a big game and the heat of the moment And if you've ever heard it, he he says this. He's he's down on one knee talking to the guys on the bench, and he says this. He says, this is what you work all off-season for. This is why you lift all them weights. You ever seen that? it's an impassioned plea of like this is why we do what we do for the fourth quarter for at the heat of the game when it's needed when you need all the strength and endurance and all the conditioning we've done all the lifting of the weights it's all for this next series right here you go out and you play to the best of your ability it's as if paul takes a step back after encouraging him towards personal godliness and he begins to talk about congregational godliness, about the people that they are shepherding, the pastor in his, uh, or the, the, the flock underneath this pastor's care, that not only does he desire godliness for the life of Timothy, but it's as if he broadens it and just says, listen, this is why we do all that we do. This is why I'm in prison. This, this is why we've, we've worked together and I've discipled you and mentored you so that we can lead people to look like Jesus. Let's just walk through the passage. He says for to this end what's the end? The end is godliness. For to the end of godliness we do all that we do. Let me remind you of Hebrews 13:17 which says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do with you do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So what's the point here? The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, pastors, you will be judged before God based on those in your care. And you will be judged by God when you take this from a broader scale to 1st Timothy chapter 4, even beyond that to the entirety of the New Testament that in part we will be judged upon the spiritual maturity of our people. In other words, the godliness of our congregation. So for for to this end, the end being godliness, he says we toil and we strive. The word toil obviously means we work. Now we work towards godliness with our people. This word for strive, I love it. It's in the original language, it gives the idea of we agonize. So think about the passion there. I mean, I'm working and I'm agonizing so that the people in my church would be godly. They'd be godly. I wanna ask you two simple questions for your own heart and for your own life and ministry today. Question number one is this, am I working towards the godliness of my congregation? That seems so simple and it seems just almost trite. And yet if you were honest with God, are you working towards the godliness of your congregation? Or are you working for your own pleasure? Are you working for a number? Trying to find an identity? I tell you this, it's very easy to be lazy in ministry. You can hide a lot. Most churches don't have a ton of structure accountability, and so you can piddle around in the office instead of toiling for godliness. Second question is this, am I agonizing towards the godliness of my congregation? Am I striving for the godliness of my people? Like when's the last time, if you're a pastor already or a student pastor, you work in ministry already, when's the last time you were torn up inside because of a lack of maturity of your people. When's the last time you were torn up thinking about an individual, you're like, man, they're just not getting it. What's wrong? Like, I want them to, to be godly, to learn. And for some reason, they're not getting it. He says, for to this end, we toil and strive. He says, because we have our hope set on the living God. Ministry without the power of God is hopeless. Don't ever forget that. So, so think about this, take a step back. He says, Timothy, strive for personal godliness and, and, and you know, to this end, we work and we agonize for the godliness of our own people because we have our hopes set on the living God. Like we don't hope in our ability, we hope in the power of God. Let me, let me give you the most frustrating statement that you'll ever hear in ministry. Aren't you glad you came to chapel for that? <laughs> most frustrating thing you'll, you'll understand in ministry is this. You can't make anyone godly. That'll kill you. It'll frustrate you when you look at the carnality of your own people. Look at their half-hearted commitment to God. And you think about, man, I just desire them To get it and some don't that's why we've got to have our hope set on something greater than us and have our prayers pray to someone greater than us be very honest with you your hope can't be in your preaching as good of a preacher as you might be and your hope can't be in your leadership as great of a leader as you may be your hope must be and the power of the Spirit of God to do the things that only he can do in the lives of your people. Set your hope different. Set your aim different. What a beautiful declaration we have of the gospel of Jesus in the last phrase of this passage. The Bible says, Who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Aren't you thankful that God has never turned away a repentant sinner? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that there's this all aspect of the gospel that anyone, anywhere can be saved? You see, the hope of the gospel, the hope of of trusting in the power of God and trusting in Jesus who is the savior of all people, here's the incredible hope of ministry, that anywhere as a small Pa- or a, as a pastor in a small town here in Texas, maybe. Anytime you stand up and proclaim Jesus, somebody can come to faith in Christ. That as a student pastor, you stand up and preach the cross of Jesus Christ, or some dorky sixth grader who's listening, who may be the next Billy Graham. Those of you who are gonna be in women's ministry, you're You're standing up, teaching a discipleship class in your church to a bunch of women, and you proclaim Jesus, and there's always the chance that somebody can get saved. We just started a a 10-week journey through Philippians on Sunday, and so Sunday I preached Philippians 1, 1 through 11, and in the message, obviously, work through verse 6, where if you remember the passage, it's that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so I, I stopped the church there and I said, this word for began, interesting, it's only used two places in the New Testament. It's used here and in Galatians 3.3, 3, both referencing salvation. And so what is the good work that God has begun? Salvation. And so I stopped right there in the middle of the message I said, listen, some of you today, you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Somebody invited you, you came in here on your own, but here's the great news that we have for you. Today, God may be beginning this, the work of salvation in your life. That's the hope of ministry. That's the hope of the gospel. Anytime, anywhere, anybody, I often say it this way doesn't matter how far you are away from God, doesn't matter how deep in sin you feel like you are, Jesus can save you. And so I just want to close with, with one question for you. It's a simple question based on what Paul encouraged Timothy to do. What are you aiming at? What are you aiming at? Today might need to be a day of, of repentance before God. Today might need to be a day of of a course correction, getting back to the fundamentals, to get back to aiming at godliness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are in this room because you are the savior of all people. And you had begun a great work in us, the work of salvation. Lord, I pray today that we would set our aim on godliness and that we would walk away better evangelists, better disciples, better husbands, wives, better church members. Lord, would you lead us to the place where you want us to be? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.